0: Thank you. What a joy to be here this morning, and uh, to finally meet you after I think a couple of years. It's kind of embarrassing we haven't been here for a while, um, but thank you for having us. And this morning, what I want to do is share some what I'm calling short stories by Jesus. Jesus is writing stories still. Did you know that? He he he. he Gave a few in, in the New Testament. He gave a lot in the New Testament. But he's still writing stories. He's writing stories here, too, in your life, right? And what I want you to know this morning is that these stories are your stories. You need to take ownership of these because you have had a part in these. In helping us to help them, you have had a part in these stories. And I want to tell you, first of all, a story about a man by the name of Simon Mbevi. Uh, Last week was Father's Day, right? And all week I've been reading posts on Facebook from people about their dads. And they're the good stories, right? But I know that there's also been a lot of people going through this last week missing their dads because they've gone, they've died. Or missing them because they were never present. Or missing them because they were... Just really not good dads or maybe people have been thinking I wish I could be a dad or I wish I even knew who my dad was it's it's like a minefield isn't it of emotions that we tend to go through when we do this and I want to tell you Simon's story and a few other stories this morning to show you how God brings triumph out of tragedy amen And by the way, there's two really spiritual responses you can give me this morning. One is amen and one is ouch. So both are really spiritual in the house of God. Uh, So Simon, let me just tell you a little bit about his backstory because this is where it all starts. He was one of 28 children, four wives, relaxed mothers. Uh, four wives and 28 children. But he says that he only ever remembers one meaningful conversation that he had with his dad on his own, and he was about 10. And then just shortly after that, his father was killed in a car accident, and they shipped him off to boarding school. And it was there that a teacher began to sort of just take notice of him and encourage him and pat him on the back when he was doing well. And he began to really grieve for his dad that was gone now. And then one day the school decided they were going to go on a school trip and they were all going to get on buses. And and Simon was not going to, he was afraid. He didn't want to die in a road accident like his father had. So he was in his bedroom, (laughs) excuse me, With his covers over his head and he was just saying to himself, I'm not getting on the bus. I'm not getting on the bus. And all of a sudden he was aware that someone was in the room. And they were waiting for him to acknowledge them. So he kind of pulled the covers down and looked and there was Jesus, larger than life. And Jesus just said to him, Simon, I'm going to be your dad. Get on the bus it's going to be okay and this changed his life He began to lean into the fatherhood of God and begin to understand what good fathers should be and could be and would be. And he has gone on to start a church. He came to Pan-Africa Christian University, did his MA in leadership. He went on to start a church called Mavuno, which reaches young people. He started a TV station, which reaches young people. He's training people for politics. He's doing all sorts of incredible things. But in the middle of all that, And writing many books, by the way. One which is called Ombi, which is about prayer. That's Swahili for prayer. Uh, One about virginity, so dealing with young people and the issues in our nation in Kenya. Gideon's action, getting men to be involved. And then this dad is destiny. And uh, recently I heard him again, invited him to a church where I'm involved. And he talks about dad being Dads need to be present in order to be the priest, the prophet, the protector and provider. They need to be present. And he talks a lot to the country about not sending kids to boarding schools, just shipping them off and and they getting lost in schools a lot of the time. Uh, So recently, I realized he has started a group called the Dad Gap. And he is talking about dad is destiny, man enough, intentional dad, boys to men, and then he's also been reaching, which is at a crisis proportions in Kenya, he's talking to the single moms, the mothers of sons how to help get their sons, the mentorship and the, the, the uh, examples that they need in their sons' lives in order to become the man that God needs them to be. And he is, uh, you know, he's a name that is recognized across Kenya. He has already spoken to about 300,000 men teaching them how to become the fathers that they need to be. And we're just so proud to be a little part of his story. Isn't he doing incredible things? Uh, another guy that is had a, a difficult dad story, uh, Joseph. It's hard to know where to start. I guess the night it really starts was when he's from Sudan, <clears throat> and he and his his village, they were, they were attacked by the Lord's Resistance Army. Have you heard of the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda and Sudan? So what they do is they go into villages and they abduct the men and the boys to join their army, and they often kill off the rest of the family. So Joseph lost most, almost all of his family one night, and he and his dad were abducted and taken into the Lord's Resistance Army, where he became a child soldier. Within two weeks, his father was killed and died in his arms. And as he was dying, he said to Joseph, If and when you get out of here, I want you to become a pastor. I want you to bring life where there's so much death. Joseph thought, well, you know, that'll never happen. And he was on the run for years with the Lord's Resistance Army and trained to kill. He says he killed many people. Many, many people. And then he kept praying, Lord, if I'm ever gonna do what my dad suggested, I need to get out of here. And one day the Lord just sent a black cloud which descended over their little battalion and he realized nobody could see him. And he began to run and he just ran and he ran and he ran to Kenya. He ran to another country. I mean, he ran for days, for days. He got to Kenya and he got into a refugee camp called Kakuma And there began the journey back to wholeness, the trauma intervention, the trauma healing, the PTSD healing, right? And how the Lord began to put his mind and his heart back together and someone in Kakuma recognized potential in him. And sent him to Nairobi, which is where Pan Africa Christian University is. And, and then from there, a pastor said to him, You know, if you're going to grow in your faith, you need to go to Pan Africa Christian University. And so he came to us. And I think of him as a gentle giant. He's tall. If you know many Sudanese people, they're 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 very tall. He's between 6'5 and 6'9. I'm not quite sure. I can just about you know touch the top of his head. And, and his story is amazing because he's the sweetest, loving person th- th- that I've encountered recently. He's just... He's, he's and he's been a killer. Do you know what I'm saying? We're talking about tragedy to triumph here. And so every semester, he goes back taking food, uh, Actual physical food, living food, back to where he was in this camp. He travels three days through bandit country back to Kakuma every holiday to preach and to teach and to bring the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who were also in the same position he used to be. And he is a force to be reckoned with there. What's really interesting about him today is that uh, for many years when he came to Nairobi, yes, that's him lying on a couch. Did I mention he's, are you with me? How big is your couch in your living room? Uh, And and of course, he, he doesn't fit well on the couch. So he's all scrunched up and he's got no pillow. And he's been on that couch for eight years. So anytime I used to show this story last year, every church wanted to buy Joseph a bed. Every church. And, and so one church actually sent the money for the bed. And, and when I got there, I said to Joseph, now listen, I wanted to catch his initial response to getting a bed. And uh, I had a feeling this would happen. And yes, it did. I put the mic in front of him. And I said, so Joseph, can, and I'm doing this off. Can you tell this church thank you because you're going to have a bed now he looks at me and he goes, but mama, what am I going to do with a bed? How does a bed help me win the lost? I'm like, okay, okay, turn the camera off for a minute. Uh, what do you saying? What do you mean, Joseph? He says, mama, tell them, send school fees. I need to learn more about the Bible and then I will reach the lost. I I never sent the video, actually. I called the pastor and talked to him and I said, could we use that money for school fees? Because Joseph is quite happy on his couch. And he wouldn't know where to put a bed anyway because he's in somebody's living room, right? Anyway, the people moved. So now he has no couch. So do you want to buy a couch? No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. So what we did in the end was, we said to Joseph, listen, why don't we move you on campus, you live in the dorms, and and you can be here, it'll be safe, it'll be great, you'll get food, and and so he's in the campus now, and I want to tell you what he's doing there. Paul mentioned that we have many unbelievers now that are coming to school, right? And so our theology students have just gone, "Ching, wake up! This we've got to do. This we have non-believers right with us. We need to be winning them to the Lord." And Joseph has become part of that army, and I trust that you will hear him. Okay. Hey, And then we get the group started, the start among us. And then now we have the ten people who give their lives to Jesus Christ inside the conference. That's fantastic. So ten people have yeah. given their lives to the Lord yes. in, in the dorms. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So you're exactly. doing the yeah. work of an evangelist on campus. Yes. <laughs> and we are growing, We are growing. So we make sure at the end of the DC visa, maybe you can reach more 20. Amen. Yes. Yeah, and this morning, two people gave their heart to the Lord in yes. chapel. Yes. So the Lord's love is winning in the hearts of these young students. And it's a problem us. Yeah. It... <laughs> I don't know if you caught all of that, so let me just say again. Since he moved on campus, which was January. He's won 10 people to the Lord in the dorms. He takes them out for Bible study early in the morning before class. And his goal is 20 by the end of next semester. And people are getting saved in the dorms at Pan-Africa Christian University. And this is amazing. Because now the mission field moved on campus, right? And so we're able to reach these kids when they come. And I'm so happy to be a part of Joseph's story. He is a force to be reckoned with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, having healed him and bringing him. Let me go back there and let you have a little look at his name, Jackson May Kua, another student of ours who is a Maasai. Um, If you've read anything about Kenya or you will know that the Maasai are one of our tribes there and they are very nomadic and they are one of the most resistant to the gospel. So when Jackson showed up in his full regalia to study at Pan-Africa Christian University, we were excited. And his story is so similar to many of the others. His father died when he was young, and he got shipped off to boarding school. And then the government came along and said, we'll pay for your fees. And so he ended up at PAC, PACU, And and we we got connected and began to help him. And then when he left the university, he started a church in his village. And people began to get saved. And it was really exciting. And then he started another church and people began to get saved. And just recently, we were out there and we we were on our way somewhere else. But we said to Joseph, meet us at the tree. When you go out to his village, you literally are driving through the bush uh, for a while. And then you come to a place where there's no trees. There's just no trees. And so the directions to his house are, you, you turn left at the tree. And there is one tree there, and you go left. And we met at the tree and gave him some gifts that we had for him and we just got talking and we wanted to pray with him and and I said so how's it going he said well I'm about to plant my third church and 18 men got saved and 12 women just got saved about two weekends ago and and what's really interesting is that recently a friend of mine from Lakefield outside of Peterborough she came out and she's a pastor of a church there and she got really excited about what's happening among the Maasai and her church has been buying Bibles for them in the language ma which is their language and it's the first time they've ever had the Bible in their language and so it's, it was so exciting we were there the day they got their Bibles and uh, them opening it them up and then a young man who could read the best standing up and reading from the Word of God in their what we call heart language and so exciting So exciting. Uh, But one of the things that that Jackson uh, was struggling with is he has no car, he had no transport. So that little church in Lakefield just bought him a motorbike. And he can get around to all the people that he's pastoring now and be with them. And it is just exciting what is happening among the Maasai with Jackson May Kua. And remember, this is your story. I'm going to go over this story, so just forgive me for a moment. takes a while. Let me, go I'm just, uh, let me go on there. I want to tell you about Shan. So two weeks ago, we were in Vancouver, and we went to the church, uh, Calvary Worship Center, I believe it's called, where two of our graduates from Pan-Africa Christian University are the pastors in Vancouver. They came as missionaries to Canada. Amen or ouch? (laughs) A bit of both, right? (laughs) Amen, yes, we need them, ouch, we need them. And there they are in Vancouver with this church of 2,000 people. And it was so much fun to go there and, and, and hear them. Uh, Sam was preaching that day. But the other guy, Chris, he is from Uganda. Um, Sam was from Ghana. And we are Pan-Africa. People come from all over Africa to come to the university. And Chris, one, the guy from Uganda, he met this young girl called Shan. And Shan uh, was a Muslim. And through, uh, you know, meeting with Chris and different ones from the Watoto Church, she became a Christian. Now, before she became a Christian, she had already become a mom. Uh, Very common in in, uh, many places, right? But especially in Kenya and Uganda. And so she had given birth and given birth to a son. Well, in the Muslim context, her parents, especially seeing her becoming a Christian, they took her son from her to raise him as a Muslim themselves. So she lost her son. Long story, she ends up, Chris, who used to study at Pan Africa Christian University in Kenya, he says, well, why don't you go to Kenya and go to university there and and you know get a grounding in the Bible and, and see what the Lord will do with you? And uh She came, she graduated, she did a double major in, in, she's very smart, and she is now working with a group called Jacaranda Christian Fellowship, uh, Gary and Brenda Keene. I don't know how many of you would know them. And she's become their office manager and different things. But she also is now the pastor of the church that they started. And she and I and another pastor, we get together once a week and we do professional development. We do preaching skills. And, and, and so I connect with Shane a lot. She is also in my transformational church leadership class as one of my co-teachers. And, and recently, she went to visit some of her kids that are in prison, her kids from the church, and she, the Lord just birthed something new in her. She began to realize that, 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 that these young kids that were in prison, 11 to 17 year olds, were going to be released back into society and have no skills in, with which to re-engage and to, to, to connect again. So she talked to the warden, and she is now starting a whole organization called Rebuild Hope, where she is going to be visiting in the prisons, walking and with, mentoring and teaching and discipling the young offenders, and then be the one that the warden can call and release them to her, because many of them do not have parents that are present. I'm so excited to be part of her life that she sees things from God's perspective and she's taking amazing opportunities as they come to her and and I'm just I'm just amazed at what God is doing through her life and again I'm going to go over this little video for the sake of time. Jason Luquama. So he's a student at PAC, he also goes to our church and he's one of our worship leaders and you know, I I don't know why, but you know how sometimes you just think somebody's got it all together, and it just must have always been that way, and they don't really suffer. Or do do you have people like that? You look at them and go, now, what what could possibly have happened to them? Anybody have that? Especially when they're up front, right? When people are up front, and they're leading in worship, or they're preaching, or they're teaching, you think, oh, they don't know what I've been through, right? There's always a backstory. Have you noticed that? And it was amazing, in Bible study one night, we got talking about power ministry and deliverance and the demonic and what we should do and how, how to engage and how not to engage. And Jason's sitting there pretty quiet and finally I said to him, so Jason, I don't know much about your backstory. What is your backstory here? He said, well, I, I'm very familiar with all we're talking about today because my father's a witch doctor. I'm like, you ever do that in study? Somebody just says something and you go, Oh, t- tell me about that. So he begins to unpack this crazy story of growing up in the home of a witch doctor who was doing really awful things and, and bringing his friends in. And, you know, there were, there were like snakes involved and all kinds of things involved and people getting sick and dying. And, and it was just nasty, evil stuff. And his father wanted to train him in the same And he said, Jason, you need to be hungry for power. I can deal with, I can help you deal with power. And the Lord just began to put his finger on Jason and say, no, come on back. Come on back. Get away from that. And actually he left home for a while and his father said, if you will not be trained as a witch doctor, I'm never going to support you to go to school anymore. So he ended up living on the streets for a bit, just, just collecting plastic and selling it and, and, you know, gathering stuff and selling to recycling places and just making some money and to go to, and eat and to go to school. And the more he resisted and the more he pulled back, the harder his father became Till he finally abandoned the family altogether and then Jason went back home. Anyway, long story that here's a kid who's grown up in this environment, never really been nurtured in the things that are normal for kids to be nurtured in. And so it was really crazy. On the streets, he met these uh, two people from Germany, I believe they were, and, and he saw them using art on the street to, to win the, uh, the street kids. So they began to train him in art, and he discovered he's a phenomenal artist, and, and a musician, somebody gave him a guitar, and he began to realize he is really gifted in music. And he always thought singing was for his sisters, and then one day his sisters came, and they said, why don't you sing with us, because, you know, if we've got a voice, likely you do, it could be Jeanette. So he begins to sing, and it turns out, as, as a young adult, he's learning, he's got a phenomenal voice. We didn't learn that when he was young nobody ever said you know let's sing these sweet little songs you know what I'm saying and suddenly we've got Jason who is a musician par excellence he's an artist par excellence you see these last two pictures uh, this is done in a worship service where he's painting something upside down Have you ever seen this done and and then at the end and when he turns it over and of course it's the Lord And and just the whole worship experience that he brings to art. And and now he's begun something on campus on Wednesday nights, a couple of times a month. He brings in uh, uh, all of the bands that he's now playing with. And and they will do a, a whole night of worship. And people are getting saved. And people are coming into the heart of worship because of Jason who resisted the witchcraft and the power of that and knew that God's power was stronger and it was pure and it was holy and there was, there was a marvelous future for him in the power of the Almighty, the creator of the universe. And he is just a going concern. So I met with him and I'm talking to him and I want to tell you a story when I go to Canada. So what's your future, Jason? What are you going to do? You're going to to go back to the streets, right? And you're going to do your music and your art there. And he went, no, I'm going to stay in the church. I was like, why would you stay in the church? You know, the lost, surely they're out there. And he goes, oh, but Lynn, so many people are lost in the church. I'm like. Well, that's true. Well, tell me about that. So we have really massive churches in Kenya. Some of them are 5,000, 6,000, 10,000. Ours is the small church. We have 1,200. They literally call us the small church among the CTAM churches. They must say, it must be nice. You must know everybody's name. They don't know me. I don't know anybody's name. If I remember your name, be very suspicious. It's actually not a good sign but 1200 is our small church and so he's been co-opted right now doing his internship in a church of like 5,000 I believe it is he said but Lynn do you know how many of those children are lost in the house and it's from that that I began to think about this The, the, the next few minutes I just want to land something for you in scripture here and talk about lostology the theology of the lost. Because this was the theme of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? <laughs> he told a lot of stories about what it means to be lost. Particularly lost in the house. You know those those um, lost passages, especially Luke 15, where you have the parable of the lost sheep. Now, he's, he's out of the house. We know that, right? But then we have the lost coin who's in the house. And then we have the pa- the, the Parable of the lost son, right? How many of you heard many, many sermons on the prodigal son, right? The, the one that went out of the house. But how many, have you ever done the series Prodigal God, Pastor Todd? Has anybody watched that, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller? Oh, that's what you have to do this afternoon. You just have to. <laughs> so let, let me borrow a little bit from Tim Keller then this morning. So he tells the story. In a way, I've never heard it, and and you know, I, my dad used to preach on this. Like I, I could, I could recite my father's sermon on this. I heard it that many times, so I thought I'd heard everything about the prodigal son there was to hear. But Tim Keller points out something I think you all know that the elder brother, he never comes to the table in the end, does he? He's lost in the house, and so. Tim Keller makes the point, um, and I think I've jumped ahead in my, my notes. I may have to go back in a few minutes. But Tim makes the point that Jesus was constantly talking about the lost in the house. He constantly had a group in front of him who were the the. the ta- collectors and the sinners, as they were called, the people not acceptable in the house, and then he had the the chief priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he constantly had this mixed congregation, and, and he was constantly saying, you guys that are supposed to be reaching out to these guys, you're lost too, because you want the father's money without the father yourself. You're using and abusing your privilege being in the house. And you're as lost as the one who rejected and walked away, but has come back. And now you're jealous, and you don't want to accept them. So I I think you can get that the elder brother was lost too. In fact, he doesn't end up at the table like the younger son does. And, And then there's other stories, other short stories by Jesus. What about the priest and the Levite in the Good Samaritan story? We know that one, right? And, and, and who, who shows up as the one, Jesus is saying, is acting like him and is the one that would, would be recognized by, by Christ as, as being like himself? That's Samaritan. Not allowed to be in the house. And Jesus says, the other two who are in the house were lost and the Samaritan, interestingly enough, is acceptable. What about the five foolish virgins in that parable? What about the laborers in the vineyard? What about the person with one talent as opposed to the one with two and five? What about the unforgiving servant and the unjust steward and the unjust judge? These were all people who had been groomed and were raised in the house and did it wrong. So it's the theme with Jesus. And so we all need to take stock this morning and make sure that we're not one of those who are in the house and not in the kingdom. Because that can happen. That can happen. And is happening, right? And another th- surprise theme was who was in the kingdom and not in the house. Well, what does the kingdom look like? Well, Jesus said, the good Samaritan. What about Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. He wasn't thought, well, good enough to be in the kingdom. But Jesus invites him into the kingdom. And the widow with her two mites, the poor, the needy, the marginalized, Jesus was always talking to them and talking about them. And, and what about Mary Magdalene? Scandal. She was in the house, among the disciples, and the woman pouring out her expensive perfume who who the others sitting there are like, whoa, what a waste, what a waste. And And Jesus says, they're going to talk about this lady forever, and here we are talking about her this morning, right? What about Peter after he repented of denying the Lord Jesus Christ? You can just imagine if the story, as the story got out to the other disciples, who sadly weren't even there, the crucifixion, right? And Peter says later, and I, I denied him three times. You can imagine they wanted him out of the house, right? What about Paul, the murderous Pharisee that comes along, and, and everybody's terrified of him because he's killing Christians, and Jesus says, hmm, there you are, in the house, <laughs> Oh, the people Jesus invites into the house can just offend our sensibilities sometimes, right? And yet Jesus kept saying, this is who I am. I came to seek and to save the lost. So here's a a theme that uh, oh, wait a minute. I'm jumping ahead in my, my theology again and my notes here. Let me just go here. In the house, but not in the kingdom. Recently, I've been hearing this song, and it's, been made, it's made a lot of sense to me. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise to you only. And it's a great song, isn't it? Did you sing that here? Yeah. Um, so, recently, I've been diagnosed with an incurable lung condition, a bronchiectasis I never heard of it now I am it <laughs> you ever had that happen to you um, and the next thing I know I'm, I'm carrying exercise machines for my lungs and I'm trying to breathe in deeper and breathe out better and all of that so long story short I've discovered that if I really want to get the medication in I have to breathe deeply not just that little shallow breath that you're all doing right now sitting here right But I need to breathe in and then in. And I can actually feel that air going right in. But when I breathe out, I have to do the same. I have to breathe out and then breathe out. You should try that. None of us are really breathing very deeply, and I've discovered, it's hard for me now, I have to do that, intentionally breathe out a lot so that I can breathe in a lot and get the medication down to where it needs to be. And I've been thinking about this, because it's the same in our spiritual lives, isn't it? You can, you can just nod or something and... Yeah, it's the same in our spiritual lives. That sometimes we're just doing this shallow, deep breathing and we, we, we keep claiming that we're taking in the breath of the Holy Spirit. And actually it's not getting very far down and we need to stop and intentionally breathe that in so that when we breathe out, it's all Him. Are you with me? Instead of half stale air. And so I think a lot of what we need to do in the church today around the world is is recognize that we're mixing our stale air, our stale thinking, our meanness, our self-centeredness, our our culture-centeredness, our whatever-it-is centeredness that is getting in the way of us really breathing in and out spirit-filled stuff, right? Right? I don't know if that resonates with any of you, but it's challenged me recently. What is that air that I'm breathing out? Is, did I breathe it in from him and now I'm breathing that out? That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to breathe out your breath and praise him only. And I have to be intentional about that, and so do you, right? Right? Because the enemy knows when you've got a heart like that, he wants to get involved. We need to protect this. Let me finish here. The true elder brother, just briefly... See, we often read that prodigal son story as if the father and the older brother, you know, no one is supposed to chase the prodigals. They're just supposed to come to themselves at the end of their rope. And, but actually, in, in the culture back then, the elder brother should have gone looking for the younger brother. That was the culture. Not to shame the family. The father wouldn't go, but the, young, but the brother would go and, and help bring the prodigal back. So what's really interesting is that Jesus is telling this story and some of the elder brothers were there, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And you you read that parable again, you'll notice it just doesn't end nicely. The son doesn't come back to the table and you're left going, what was that? And then Jesus begins to tell and impact uh, every story that he's telling that he is the one who has come from the father as the true elder brother to seek and to save the lost that was standing over here because they never did. They didn't get it they didn't get the kingdom principle that they were not to just get it and keep it and, and be exclusive but they were to include the others and if they were to be like their God their prodigal God who spends recklessly and, and 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 lavishly on that's what prodigal actually means to spend recklessly and lavishly and and if they were to be like the God that they were trying to serve they would have been on mission with him to seek and to save the lost and so he comes, Jesus is the true elder brother, to show them how to do it. And it's an incredible story. And, and I read recently there are two kinds of people in the world. Um, these are generalizations, you understand, right? Uh, but there's one kind of person who walks into a crowd of people and goes, here I am. Come and get to know me. I'm interesting. Yeah? Are you that kind of person? No, not a lot, right? <laughs> Oh, well, then there's other kinds of people, though, that walk into a room and go, oh, there you are. You look interesting. I want to get to know you. And we're supposed to be the second type of people. We're supposed to walk into a room of the saved and the unsaved and the everybody, and we're supposed to go, oh, there you are. There you are. And God sees you. And God knows you. And God loves you. And I'm here on mission with him. So if you take away nothing else this morning, I want you to remember these three things. That we are supposed to be in the house. It's good you're here this morning. It's good you belong. It's good you're a community. But we're also, more importantly, supposed to be in the kingdom and the way we know that we're in the kingdom is if we're in search mode, with God, for the lost. I don't know if you're like me. You've just been on this crazy raptor mania thing. How many were raptor mania? Only really? OK, maybe this illustration won't work too well. Not too many hands going up. OK, let me see you again. <laughs> The country was caught up, right? Um, and, and, you know, I was watching one of the games in the semis where they lost. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to watch the next game. They're just going to lose. And I was not holding out a whole lot of hope for them. And then, of course, roller coaster. They were winning, then they weren't, then they were You know what I'm saying. But imagine if I just quit at that game and thought, never again. Not going to watch another game. I would have stopped watching when they were losing. And you know, I've just been thinking about that this morning. We do that all the time with people. They lose a game. And we like, yeah, all right, okay, whatever. I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit just deal with you. And 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 I think, (laughs) and I know and I believe that God is saying, hang in there longer. Be in search longer, because they could win the championships, (laughs) and you won't be there. But we are supposed to be in search mode for the loss. I love it that our students are. I love it that they're going where where Paul and I could never go, and they speak languages Paul and I will never learn. And they're doing the thing, and I am so proud to be a part of them. Would you stand and let me pray with you as, as I close and hand back to your pastor? You are uniquely positioned in your generation to become true elder brothers and to reach the lost. How did Jesus reach them? He sought. Another thing he did was he served. And then he saved, right? Seek, serve, and save. Now we do not save people, but we have to Seek and serve, so that he may save. Amen. Father, as we bow our heads, I just pray this morning that, Lord, you would find us in the house, in the kingdom, in search mode today, and that you would be pleased to be our God. And that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. So much so that when we speak, we speak your words. (laughs) That is my prayer for Glad Tidings Church this morning. That is my prayer for the church in Canada this morning. That we would be full of the Holy Spirit. And in search mode for those you died for. And may we be pleased to be your people. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.